Today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show podcast is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value-priced DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. Mill Creek has one of the largest catalogs out there, ranging from kids' programming, classics, films, and television, independent cinema, documentary, Latino cinema, and they even produce their own in-house content. Mill Creek is even a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. The best part about Mill Creek is how easy they are to find. Mill Creek has deals with thousands of big box stores, grocery stores, drug stores, and practically any other retailer you can imagine to make their product always easy to find. Trust me when I say I've owned plenty throughout my life as a collector without even realizing their name I can trust. Practically any horror movie compilation collection I've owned or grindhouse movie collection Mill Creek put out and it was always good quality. Some of my favorite releases are Bobcat Goldthwait's directorial debut, Shakes the Clown, Arnold Schwarzenegger's meta-action classic, Last Action Hero, which can be found on their Nine Lives Action Collection, which is ultimately a pretty dope collection. It comes with SWAT, Stealth, Vertical Limit, Universal Soldier The Return, Last Action Hero, Blind Fury with Rutger Hauer, Silent Rage, White Line Fever, and even Steven Seagal's Into the Sun. I also really like the release of The Legend of Billie Jean. It was probably one of the first blue rays i bought for them and now they've even started doing a collection of hammer horror films and anyone who knows me knows how much i like the hammer films i'm still practically new to them but i've really enjoyed discovering them head to milkcreekent.com milkcreekent and see what their collection has to offer i guarantee you'll find something once again it's www.milkcreekent.com you're gonna find something i guarantee it you're gonna love what you find Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. They have a bunch of weird ones. Like it's Best Buy exclusives too. They have Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I'm all for. I still haven't bought the Blu-ray yet, but which is surprising to me because how much yeah. I love that movie. They've got uh, the John Goodman film, The Babe, where he's Babe Ruth. Oh yeah, which I remember really liking. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I remember <laughs> really liking it. And they have like Problem Child, <laughs> a Best Buy exclusive. Awesome. And, you know uh, another fun fact about Problem Child. Uh, which I don't, there aren't many, but I got this one. Um, the guys who wrote the film also went on, like, they got frustrated because they, they hated being known as the problem child guys. <laughs> so they went, later went on to write Ed Wood for Tim Burton. Oh, wow. And then they also wrote Big Eyes for Tim Burton, and they wrote The People versus O.J. Simpson. So, like, we are no longer wow. the, the problem child guys. We are the historically accurate movie guys. <laughs> I'd want to be on that set now that I know that. Just say, hey, you're the problem child guy. <laughs> I just, I just love the idea of that. like, and I feel like the problem child guys right in the movie about Ed Wood is so perfect. <laughs> like nothing against problem child, I'm sure they wrote a good script. It's just like eh. that had that had uh, Ritter in it, right? Yeah, it did. John John Ritter. Yeah, Jason is the son. I think it would have sold a lot more. Like, I think the movie would have done even better if they would have called it John Ritter versus Problem Child. <laughs> 
sell it as, as like a monster movie. <laughs> yes. Or, or like or Ash versus crossover Evil. horror. Yeah. Ash versus Evil Dead. John Ritter. If like, and even if none of this happens in the movie. Just show John Ritter like on the front with an axe. <laughs> John Ritter versus Problem Child. Have you heard of uh, Star versus the Forces of Evil? No, but this it's sounds a, It's a kid's cartoon kind of in the vein of Adventure Time. Okay. Um, but their theme song is do yourself a favor and look up on YouTube the Star vs. the Forces of Evil theme song. <laughs> Makes me so happy. <laughs> I'll probably throw it in the episode too because <laughs> they can't flag audio. Yeah, suckers. I'll see your star versus the forces of evil and raise you a Canadian TV show I like called uh, Todd and the Book of Pure Evil. It's, it's about a metalhead named Todd who's kind of a lunk who goes <laughs> to Crowley High named after Al- Alistair Crowley, and I loved that their mascots the Ram. Yeah, so it's just steeped with all these like metal and cult references. <laughs> And they find a book of pure evil that anyone who opens it gets their innermost wish, but it turns them evil. And the first episode, he gets possessed and realizes, oh, shit, this is crazy and doesn't want to do it anymore. But then every episode is about someone else in the school getting possessed. And, like, every episode, like, murder and mayhem ensues in the school. Like, monsters come and kill and destroy teenagers. And no one comments on, on the weirdness of this. And every day, the kids come in and go to school and do their thing. And uh, Jason Mewes plays the janitor who lives in the school. Really? Yeah. Nice. So I, uh, they had two seasons before they were canceled, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but they're making an animated movie that they funded off a of Kickstarter. Oh wow! So to tie it Good all for up. them. Yeah. So it's it's kind of cool. <laughs> so any new business, Nick? Before we move on to the actual topic at hand. <sighs> new business um... or old business. I forgot to bring my gavel okay. to ring in our meeting. <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. I've been kind of lame lately. I've just been working a lot, and that's about it. Yeah, same. I've been buying more movies than I know what to do with. <laughs> one that I'm kind of excited about, like, cause uh, I will. One I got all. I got. We we both got some movies uh, to watch just because of the TV show. Um, but I bought this one from Best Buy. Have you ever heard of a movie series called Billy Jack? Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I'm, I I'm familiar with it. I got the whole collection the... from Best Buy. Nice. <laughs> awesome. It's only $17. Awesome. One thing I have to show you that I'm excited about that Mill Creek sent me, they sent me the Nine Lives movie collection. Okay, Stealth SWAT. Uh, it's on here is SWAT, Stealth, Vertical Limit. Uh, Universal Soldier The Return, oh. which uh, has got Van Damme and the rest were Bill Goldberg. But nice. then these are these the ones I'm most excited about on here is Last Action Hero. Nice. Uh, Blind Fury with Rutger Howard. 
I one I haven't heard of. He plays a a former U.S. soldier who was blinded in battle, who knows kung fu, and uses his blind fury to beat the shit out of people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, white line. Yeah. It's got white line fever, starring Jan Michael Vincent as a trucker movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, m- the one I'm most excited to watch: Silent Rage. Ooh. Starring. It's one of Chuck Norris's first starring roles. Okay. And what's great about it is I read the description for it on IMDb, and it's like, uh, Chuck Norris plays a Texas Ranger, of course, um, who attempts, attempts kung fu on an indestructible axe murderer. I can't wait to find out whether or not how that attempt goes. I know. And then they also got the Steven Seagal movie, Into the Sun. But, you know. It's not nearly as exciting as uh, Silent Rage or Blind Fury. I I was just going to say those two would make a great double feature together. (laughs) Blind and Silent. Fury Rage. Yeah! Blind Silent Fury Rage. Yeah! I have to say, all things considered, they sent us some pretty cool stuff. Like, uh, um, you definitely, you got your Hunter from the Future, which is really cool because it started off as... A joke. At the, well, not even a joke. It was an episode you definitely wanted to do early on, and now we can do it thanks to Mill Creek, which is awesome. And uh, I got some other cool little goodies. One of them is a made-for-TV movie from Hallmark um, about pirates. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. It's probably it's pirates, so there's something cool about it. But like, it's it's Blackbeard, and it's got Jessica Chastain in it, but. Like, I put it on. That's amazing. I put it on, and, like, the music is very Hallmark. <laughs> they also made, sent me a made-for-TV remake of Poseidon Adventure. Ooh. And then a a, a, a all-male version of Freaky Friday. It's called Vice Versa. Okay, I thought it was going to be, like, Wacky Wednesday. <laughs> oh, my God. A Manic Monday? <laughs> but what's great about this... Is it stars Judge Reinhold and Fred Savage? <gasps> no! <laughs> Swear to God. I don't know if you can see that. That is a. Ama- oh, okay. It's an older one. Yeah. And Susie Kurtz. Swoozie Kurtz. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah. So, like, they sent me a bunch of weird shit, but, you know, <laughs> I can't complain. They were really nice. They didn't have to send me a, a gift bag, they didn't have yeah. to send you your. Right. They've been cool. But, um,. Back to topic. <laughs> start the topic. We should, should we actually start the show? Yeah, we probably should. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Vyers, and with me, as always, is one punk that's still debating whether it was five shots that were fired or six. Nick Richards. It's funny, every, as I go back and re-listen to some of our episodes sometimes... Because anytime I get something, that, that a new piece of audio equipment, I have to see how our show sounds because I'm vain as fuck. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm just I'm continually impressed to how I, I, I never t- intended to, but I have a way that I hit that intro every time. Oh, yeah, completely. I, I your never, cadence yeah. is... And then when I do the, my solo episodes, I like feel kind of subconsciously compelled to try and match that. I, uh, your newest one amused me because it feel, felt like someone just threw you in a room with an with a, and turned on the microphone. You're like, oh, um, hi. <laughs> I was so out of sorts. I don't know why. <laughs> well, because I made you do an episode last minute. I was like, um, uh, let's talk about things. I enjoyed that episode, though. We, we, Did you? We okay. listened to it in the new car. <laughs> nice. Uh, and it, After you leveled up. 
Yeah. And um, I like I like the love for the Muppets on there because I was obsessed with that soundtrack when it came out. Oh, it was so good. I, well, it's Flight of the Conqueror. Well, half of yeah, Flight of the Conqueror. Yeah, I, well, I but... used I, I, when that movie came out, I was in college and I was taking the bus every morning, so I, I'd have it loaded onto my iPod, and I would be dancing to the bus stop. I'm sure anyone who watched it was like, "Why is that fat kid dancing?" <laughs> And, uh, oh, and and to set the image straight, I was usually wearing like a a uh, a horror movie T-shirt with ripped jeans. I hope when you walk into the room at the end of that song, you went right in front of me and brought everyone to an awkward once, silence. There might have been once or twice. <laughs> I walked into class because because you know movie logic means I would make that song last an entire forty-five minute bus ride. Yeah, yeah, of course. Thank you, Jump Cuts. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, uh, there's there one movie on there I never even heard of, but you intrigued me because the score was so good. The first one you picked, I cannot think of what it was. <gasps> Ravenous. I've never even heard of Ravenous. You will love Ravenous. It is it is now on my shame list. Oh, so good. So there's that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was really happy with it. You played some Willy Wonka, and that's also <laughs> one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Also a movie that scared the shit out of me as a kid. Oh yeah, it's it is unsettling and bizarre in the best way. It's one of those movies that every time I've watched it, growing up in different portions of my life, I've gravitated to something else. Yeah, because like when I was a kid, I loved it, and I don't know why I did. Because in a lot of ways, some of those older family films bored me as a kid. Yeah. Uh, but that one did not. And then as I got older, like I was trying to do like, oh, I don't like these type of movies anymore. But I still couldn't deny how much I love Willy. Like, I don't know. I just every, it always stuck with me. But Gene Wilder is so great for that role. I I, as much as I advocate for like giving remakes a chance, that is one that I am guilty of. Um, not following my own advice on is I cannot get behind the new Char- the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's not bad if you go in with no expectations. Yeah, but I I couldn't. I I went in with a. The, this isn't the gonna thing be as I good. will say I hate about that remake is that there's a lot of things I like about it. the production design is is good. I like that they um, brought some more elements from the book in because surprisingly the the Roald Dahl's family prefers that movie. Sure. To the original. Yeah. Um, because it has the cynicism that the book did. Um, the songs were the worst part about that movie. Okay. But that's just me. Cause you yeah, can't... I don't remember them off very well off. No, that's yeah, not... that's for, probably for the better. <laughs> but uh, we are not here to talk about Willy Wonka, Nick. We're not? No. Damn it. You watched the wrong movie. Because on this ah. episode, we'll be discussing... 1971's Dirty Harry, directed by Don Siegel and written by the writing couple of Harry and Rita Fink, Dirty Harry tells the story of Inspector Harry Callahan and his pursuit of a madman calling himself the Scorpio Killer. Callahan is a hard-nosed cop that cares little for the rights of the accused but instead stands for the rights of the victim. Callahan has a negative reputation, but it never shadows the work he does. It's a dirty job, but Harry Callahan is there to take care of it. Clint Eastwood stars in this genre-defining role as the titular Dirty Harry, but along for the ride is Harry Guardino, Guardino, Rennie Santoni, John Vernon, and Andy Robinson as the Sinister Scorpio. This is about a movie about a couple of killers 
Harry Callahan. And a homicidal maniac. The one with the badge is Harry. They called him Dirty Harry. And he kept inventing new ones. Don't pass out of here yet. No, 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 no. That was a pretty good pinch you made yesterday. The chief was pleased. He was, huh? Yeah, he really was. He wanted me to tell you, well done. I tell you how deeply moved I am. How do you like that? I pass along a compliment? You could at least be a little bit polite. It might not even kill you to say thanks. <laughs> Much rather say thanks to a raise. Hey, Harry, check communications. Something from Chicago. A gun knife. I'm putting somebody with you. Well, you know what happens to the guys that I've worked with. Dietrich's still in the hospital with a bullet in his gut, and Fanducci's dead. Now, you're working with Gonzalez, or you're not working. Now, that's straight from the fifth floor. You got it? I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? Doesn't it drive your wife crazy? Nope. You mean she got used to it? No, she never did, really. Well, what then? She's dead. Oh, please forgive me. She was driving home late one night, Drunk across the center line. There's no reason for it, really. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Look, I want you to tell Chico that I understand you know, him quitting. I think he's right. This is no life for you two. Why do you stay in it, then? I don't know. I really don't. Send Inspector Callahan in. Mr. Mayor, Inspector Callahan. All right, let's have it. Have what? Your report. What have you been doing? Oh, well, for the past three quarters of an hour, I've been sitting on my ass in your outer office, waiting on you. Damn it all, Harry. That's the mayor you're talking to. Clint Eastwood. Detective Harry Callahan. You don't assign him. Stop! To murder cases. You just turn him loose. That's my favorite one I've written thus far. Yeah. Yeah. It's concise. Yes. It had the word titular in it, which makes me diddle like a titular is hard. Schooler. I never know if I'm saying it right, and I always think I'm like hitting tit too hard, and like <laughs> everyone's gonna be like, "He said tit." <laughs> that is exactly my reaction. Titty. <laughs> 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 I'm a child. I am too. But this was on my <laughs> shame list, very surprisingly, because this is, this is the this checks all my boxes. The type of movie I, I want to see. I'm really in because it's 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 essentially a big budget exploitation film in a lot of ways. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I buy that. The little bit I know about the sequels, while they become a lot more violent, this one is, um, a lot creepier because of the character is wet. Because the thing that I noticed about Scorpio, he's not 
he doesn't feel like a movie villain. Whereas I, from what I've gathered from some of the sequels, is they feel like a more generic movie bad guy, like a Hans Gruber type thing. Where okay. Scorpio was frightening. In a lot of ways, this so, movie felt like a horror movie at times. He he was actually one of the biggest things that I wanted to talk about on the episode because I really like that. First off, we see him. There, there's a little bit of mystery early on, but they don't shy away from cutting to the villain and spending some time on him. Yeah. For, for, for a film that is about finding the killer, like, we get to spend some time with him. We don't go deep into his character because he's just kind of like, you know, Joker-esque, um, crazy for crazy's sake. But the way he, the way the actor portrays him I really enjoyed for this type of film. No, and exactly. Speaks to what you were saying about how the it's you know in a sense a big budget exploitation film that he wasn't just that stereotypical killer. He was just kind of like whimsically insane. Yeah. Like <laughs> um, what I liked about it was at first I thought the movie was going because um, it, it's definitely inspired by the Zodiac killer to an extent. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting is Zodiac Killer is still at large at this time. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was going to be like, oh, who, you know, a mystery for the entire film. And then you find out at the end that who it is. But I like that con- concurrently you got to see the killer and what his tactics were. He t- kind of did feel like a Batman villain for that reason. Yeah. This is Alan Spencer for Trailers from Hell. I'm going to talk about a movie that means a lot to me personally and professionally. It's Clint Eastwood in his most famous role, Dirty Harry. In 1971, I bought a ticket for Fiddler on the Roof, which was rated G, and used it to sneak into Dirty Harry, which was rated R. If I got caught, my alibi was gonna be Clint Eastwood was in Paint Your Wagon, I walked into the wrong musical. I was a kid and enthralled by this forbidden fruit. The movie begins with a hot chick and shot by a sniper. Then Clint Eastwood made one of the greatest star entrances of all time. Everything about him was larger than life, including his hair. I loved Inspector Cluzo and Maxwell Smart, who caused havoc by mistake, but Harry knew exactly what he was doing when he demolished city blocks. I found something darkly funny about it, and the film definitely had a sense of humor. I mean, Harry's blowing away crooks while chewing a hot dog. The worst I'd heard about was not swimming 20 minutes after you ate. And then there was this sicko bad guy played by Andy Robinson who was like really scary, but also spoke in this crazy falsetto that made him sound like he was yodeling, you know? And, it, and he wore a ski mask that really brought out his eyes that looked like they were on loan from Jiffy Pop. He's, he's a real good time. And just like Clouseau and Smart, Callahan gave his superiors ulcers, and he was a smartass with snappy one-liners. I loved the movie Bullet and wondered how San Francisco could have so many detectives with attitude problems. But, but make no mistake, I was taking this movie very seriously. I was mesmerized by Eastwood. The man with no name now had a name and was taking names. It's hard to believe he wasn't the first choice for the part. Paul Newman said it was too right-wing. John Wayne turned it down too, probably because it was too many words. And, and so did McQueen and, and Mitchum. And, and, you know, McQueen said, hey, I just played a cop. Frank Sinatra was almost cast and bowed out. It's hard to imagine him saying, did I fire six shots or ring-a-ding five? Uh, but, you know, even as a kid, I grasped how the laws were protecting the criminals in this story and hamstringing Harry, who had a sadistic streak like a skunk's white stripe. Sometimes he seemed like an exterminator that enjoyed killing bugs that he could chat with first. 
Clint Eastwood taught me less is more. I wanted to find out more about Callahan. I mean, he was a widower, so I assumed his wife had been killed in some brutal crime. But it turned out to be just a random auto accident. And that made him even more intriguing. And I had many more questions about Harry, like, you know, what the hell color were his eyes since he was always wearing, you know, these sunglasses? And I found myself getting increasingly frustrated as Harry was kept on a short leash by pandering bureaucrats. I mean, please just shoot Scorpio, a, a villain pattern on the Zodiac killer that further fueled the wish fulfillment for that real-life whack jobs comeuppance. The mayor was played by John Vernon, and when I did the pilot of Sledgehammer, I cast him to play the very same role. I asked him what Clint Eastwood was like, and despite working with him twice, Vernon said he really didn't know. He said Eastwood was professional but taciturn. Vernon, on the other hand, was nothing like the authority figures he played. I'm sure there's a spare toga his size in the animal house. When the villain kidnapped a busload of school children in the finale, he was targeting my target demographic now, and, and I got pissed. And after Callahan finally blew the a-hole away, I wondered why I didn't feel better about it. I was introduced to a gray area, a moral quandary. Dirty Harry threw his badge into the river at the end, a move Eastwood initially rejected. But thankfully, I guess a deep sea diver caught it and threw it back, because I definitely wanted to see Dirty Harry again. And I did, many, many times. Uh, and one thing I was thinking about that's really fascinating to me is, you know, the, the Zodiac Killer, who this is loosely inspired by, was never caught. But there, it's always been said that the little they can gather about him was that he was vain enough that anytime someone made a movie about him, he'd go see it. Right. Did, did you see the, I think it's the most recent one, a few years back, the Jake Gyllenhaal. No, I had not seen it. Zodiac. Um, I saw it when it came out. I don't recall much about it, but I remember enjoying it. There's a movie though. You should. I don't necessarily think you should see it because it's not a very good movie. But there's a movie <laughs> you, should, you should research called called The Zodiac Killer that okay. was made around the same uh, uh, at the time the Zodiac Killer was at large because the guy made it knowing that the Zodiac Killer would come see the movie. And to try and to just try to catch him. him. Yes. Wow. And like he had pictures up of because he honestly believe, thought he knew who the Zodiac killer was. And to this day this filmmaker thinks he knows who it is. Wow. And he had a picture up of the guy he thought it was and had some goons hiding in the theater and if that guy ever showed up they had to pull him into the bathroom and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> That's amazing. I wish this was this fake but it's all 100% true. <laughs> See, there's your movie. There's, don't yeah. make another Zodiac Killer movie. Make a movie about the filmmaker that was trying to catch the Zodiac Killer by making a Zodiac Killer movie. It's all about Ar <laughs> it's like Argo and shit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I really liked this movie. And then as I was watching it, like I was like, oh, why haven't I seen this? But uh, I will say, like, well, I always say, I always feel like we always say. If you listen to this show and you're not expecting spoilers, you're in the wrong thing. Yeah, shame on you. Because, <laughs> like, the first half of the film, I was like, you know what? This is a really solid cop thriller. I liked this. And I honestly thought the scene at the stadium was going to be where the movie ended. Yeah. And I yeah, was like, oh, did. that's it where it that. ends with that pull-out shot. I was like, okay, that was a cool movie. And then it was a whole half hour after it, and that extra bit is what made me fucking love the movie. Okay. Because I thought that chasing through the stadium was great, but then everything afterwards I thought was just, it just really amped up and gave depth to this character. And, well, you know, the the movie comes under fire for being a very right-wing movie to, to extents. Yeah. I, um, 
I um, it never felt like right. It never felt like propaganda to me. It's it, it definitely suffers a bit in today's context uh, as a a movie of its time. You know the the kind of you know casual white guy racism that like it's okay because I hate everyone like no that like in today's context that's still not okay <laughs> yeah and actually one thing i had to say about that too because like when, when at first you know they're like what does he think of mexicans and you know and like in like he'd he'd give some racist response but then he'd wink yeah like he didn't actually believe any of it but he kind of has this reputation so he's going along with it so like there are some blurred lines too about it like it was yeah. Callahan actually racist or uh does he just have this reputation because he legitimately just hates fucking people <laughs> right all that man likes is his gun and his hot dogs <laughs> that that first uh, that that hot dog sequence where he <laughs> interrupts the bank robbery because it was the early 70s and the blood that they use essentially it, it either was or looked a lot like ketchup <laughs> anyway that when callahan you find out was shot in that like i'm thinking the whole time that he just spilled his hot dog on himself he's like damn it i got oh, mustard like i got a little ketchup on my pants well he fun fact i i did watch some clips from the other films harry callahan would never eat ketchup okay there's he's actually a, a mustard only guy there's a scene in i think magnum force the next one where um you know, the, there's, a, there's another cop screwed up drug score unlucky john or an unhappy love affair. Hey, don't tell me this shit's getting here. Not Harry Callahan. Say it ain't so. No, this stuff isn't getting to me. The shootings, the knifings, the beatings. Old ladies being bashed in the head for their social security checks. Teachers being thrown out of a fourth floor window because they don't give A's. That doesn't bother me a bit. Come on, Harry, take it easy. Or this job either, having to wade through the scum of this city being swept away by bigger and bigger waves of corruption, apathy, and red tape. Now nah, that doesn't bother me. But you know what does bother me? What? You know what makes me really sick to my stomach? What? It's watching you stuff your face with those hot dogs. Nobody, I mean nobody, puts ketchup on a hot dog. What the hell are you talking about? I'm talking about having our fingers in the holes and the whole damn dikes crumbling around us. So that amuses me. But no, what, what was funny about that scene for me was that he took a bite of his delicious looking hot dog. That hot dog looked amazing. And then he went out there and did his thing and shot it, you know, shot the robbers. And then they do the close up of him and he, he start, continues to chew. It's like, you just had that hot dog in your cheek salivating. Gross. And the first time we see him, too, when he walks up onto that rooftop pool, he's chewing. And we don't know, I don't know if there's deleted scene backstory or if it just became a character It's just thing. eating another hot dog, man. He, go, he, he right. eats every meal at that place. I, I noticed him chewing the first time that we see him. And then I'd seen him later working on his hot dog as he's like... Uh, however, I have to say that hot dog scene is very telling about the character because um, you get you get a couple simple things from him, and th and they they pepper these throughout the movie, and they don't beat you too hard over the head with it. He's a simple dude, you know. He goes to this fucking hot dog stand for practically every meal, probably because he doesn't go home very much. So you want the uh, the lunch or, or the dinner? Doesn't matter. 
Um, I get the same thing for every meal. He, he's a, he's a man of simple tastes, and <laughs> honestly, like, there's not many meat eaters I know who don't enjoy a good hot dog. Um, they they comment later on about like how frugal he is, where you know he they don't want to he doesn't want to rip his thirty dollar uh, suit. Uh, I I also loved that like you know in the seventies like thirty dollars for a pair of slacks was a, a lot of money that you don't want to mess those up. You know it's funny just knowing his character. It probably is a lot of money to him. Yeah. Well, I think in back then those that's probably the equivalent of like a seventy eighty dollar pair of, of slacks. Yeah, and he's gonna today. he's gonna wear those ragged until he yeah. actually has to buy a new pair. I have one pair of pants. You are not ripping these pants. But like, what I liked about that scene, though, was that you know he noticed he 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 noticed the robbery, yep. and he was going to call the cops and he was going to let them do this thing. And he doesn't get involved until he feels like he absolutely has to. Yeah. And then he just and goes. He also, out. didn't panic. He didn't no. go into cop mode where he's like, you know, like he's just like, I want to fucking eat my hot dog, man. This is my lunch break. Yeah. And then like, but he. He's not going to let it go. He's not the kind that's just like, no, this is, I'm off the clock. You guys deal with it. But it was like a, all right, I have to do this. Yeah. And then, like, you know, that's when you get the infamous bullet speech. Right. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Which is great. Which is what's funny to me, because it feels so rehearsed, where I can't help but think about think about Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction, where he's just, <laughs> it's, I just thought it was some cold shit to say to a motherfucker before I pop a cap in his ass. <laughs> like, he, like, because, uh, like, he kind of had a smile on his face afterwards, and right. I gots to know. Click. <laughs> and, like, I just kind of got this feeling from him that, like, I don't want to say necessarily he enjoys his job, but, like, he knew he was in a position of power and he could fuck with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, I don't know. Like, while we don't learn a lot about his character, there's a lot about his character we can infer throughout yeah. the movie. And I think one of the biggest issues that I have with the film, it, not not really with the film at all, but um, I never... I always had an issue with Callahan in that um, he's a good representation of that kind of over-the-top machismo male figure that that always yeah, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like this glorifying the the charming asshole. And, and charming is is not the right word, but there's there's like because <laughs> he is not a very charming character. But they're like, oh, he's so cool because he doesn't care, you know. <laughs> Here's the thing: I, I never got the idea that he didn't care. I got the feeling that he's been on the job for so long that things don't phase him anymore. Yeah. But the fact that I feel like he, almost to a fault, he cares too much. Sure, I he cares too much about the people he's trying to protect, 
where he's willing to risk his job. He's willing to risk anything because he feels that's what's right. And how pissed off he got that they're concerned more about the fact that he didn't read this guy's Miranda rights, even though they've got all the proof they need that this guy's a, a motherfucker. Right. And I have to show, say, like, I've seen clips, bits and pieces of all the Dirty Harry films growing up because my dad liked them quite a bit. And I know how violent these films can get. I've never seen anything as shocking as seeing a 14-year-old girl pulled out of a shallow grave yeah. as I did that scene where, you know, he's it's all silhouetted by the the skyline. And he realized he was too late. And, like, like I said, if anything, I think he cares too much. And the fact that he's willing to run on foot to payphone to payphone, which is very Batman <laughs> yeah, villain-esque. Yeah. Um, when most cops, I feel like, or at least cops in movie cops, you know, which is more like his partner who doesn't want to climb over the fence and like, I'll find another <laughs> way around who would just do it that way. Like I, I can hundred percent see where you're coming from because I feel like the, the type of characters that I usually don't like in a movie are directly related to this, to the way this character is portrayed, yeah. but I feel like the filmmakers, while I would never say this movie is a subtle movie at all because it's on the nose, they ch chose to be subtle enough with his character where he wasn't a complete jerkoid. Yeah, he... no, I, I agree, and what I guess I should refine my statement to say that he doesn't, he doesn't care about society's expectations of him. Um, yeah. That, but no, it's very clear that his his motives are out of caring for uh, protecting people and um, it, there's a weird amount of peeping tom sequences with Callahan, but but that's a separate <laughs> issue. I was hoping we were talk on that. Well, we eventually have to go back to that because uh, that abused the <laughs> shit out of me that entire sequence. So which one of the men? Like there were so many like. Catching him, uh, looking in. There was the what was it naked? Was it naked yeah. Marge? The, the guys actually call or something like that. They're like, hey, he's peeping on naked and, Marge. And the editors and like, like, they cut back to her. Three. It was that I was watching it with a buddy of mine. And oh, it's like, yep. That that sequence was fantastic too because here's just a random gaggle of dudes here in the alley. They were probably gonna go peep on her. <laughs> but no, no, like, yeah, he's not part of our group. He's not part of the group. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. He hasn't paid he doesn't his have a dues. Card. <laughs> and then, as the partner comes in, like that's a cop, leave him alone. He's like, no, they're just trying to do what's right. Go ahead, beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, ah, uh, he's such a weird char character at times, and we're like, I, I, I kind of see what you mean though about like the, the not caring, like when. I kind of liked the continuous joke throughout the movie of why do they call you yeah. Dirty Harry? It's almost like how do you get to how, how do you get to Carnegie right, Hall? Yeah. Like everyone's answer is a little different, and then when he you finally gives his I reason, got these like, scars. <laughs> yeah, and he's going up on the cherry picker, and he's like, "It's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it." And he says it just so <laughs> casually; he's not like, "This is my city" right. type thing. And then I like that he goes up there, and the guy's like, "You're gonna try to talk me down, aren't you?" And he's like, "No, I just don't want you to take me <laughs> right. out with you." Don't you try to get me. Not me, no. You're the one who wants to get yourself killed, not me. Always happens with you guys, you know? Last minute, you always want to grab onto somebody, take somebody with you. Down you go. Not me, brother. Aren't you going to try to grab me? 
friend of mine uh, was up about 20 floors with a jumper a few years ago. And the jumper grabbed him, and they went off, and 20 floors down, just mashed them all over the paper. Couldn't tell which legs were with which, and which arms were with which, and uh, it was a terrible mess. I, I tell you, I almost threw up myself. I just like your name and address, that's all. Why? Well, like I said, it's such a mess down there afterwards, and it makes identification impossible. Even if they find your driver's license, all that blood and everything. I think... I think I'm gonna... puke. Oh, now, don't do that, son. I mean, all those people down there looking up, fire chief looking up at his face. <laughs> you rotten bastard! <laughs> And I just like that's I can kind of see how he's just so casual and it's like yeah. whatever, throw him off. <laughs> Which, what a uh, fun fact about that sequence though, that is the first pe- that is um, uh, one of the first things that uh, uh, Clint Eastwood has ever directed for a studio. Oh. Oh, interesting. He, uh, Don Siegel, the director, who was a good friend of his and um, his, was uh, Clint Eastwood's mentor for directing, was sick with the flu <laughs> for that sequence. So Clint Eastwood's like, I can do it. Let me <laughs> direct amazing. it. Uh, and then they, there's also a couple, like, because uh, he did an indie film before that called Play Misty for me, and there was a, a marquee for it up in the film, which I oh, thought was I fantastic. Nice. Like when he go into the hot dog place, there's a when he comes out of the hot dog place, there's a marquee in the background that says "Play Misty awesome. for Me." I'm like, you sly Link. dog. <laughs> um, it, it, I, I am sure there is some influence taken for that uh, jumping off the building scene in Lethal Weapon. Oh, I'm to, 100% with that sure, like cause... get up there and throw them off their game, confuse them enough to distract them from what brought them up there in the first place and there's a featurette on the blu-ray that i have for the film because i was actually i i i came across the dirty harry films in a five dollar bin at a dollar store nice. and they had all four they had all of them there and it's like well you know for 10 bucks each right. like because it came in a two-pack and i was like what the hell right <laughs> um and uh, there's a featurette on there with a bunch of action directors talking about how much they, they love these films. And I think Shane Black, who either wrote and directed Lethal Weapon, he's on there talking about it. Okay. So I'm 100% convinced that there is some, like, any type of, like, um, cop film that's not a traditional cop film, you know, where the guy who's kind of goes by his own rules <laughs> has a debt to pay to Dirty Harry in some, yeah. some way. Yeah. What any cop that gets hauled into the commissioner's office for his antics? <laughs> You're that's what I love. That's what I love. <laughs> that's what I love so much about a uh, 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 last action hero, which I just showed Amanda. Was just like it, it's like it's a movie that Schwarzenegger produced, making fun of his yeah, own movies. A love letter to the genre. <laughs> and I love that, like the first time you meet the police commissioner, he's yelling, and all the windows break in the po- in the police. <laughs> Have you seen So I Married an Axe Murderer? No, I have not. I've been wanting There's, to. It's very apt for this conversation. Um, uh, the the male support role, the buddy role, um, is Anthony La... I can never... I never know how to pronounce his name. Uh, LaPaglia? Anthony Lobster Yes, Bisque. Anthony Lobster Bisque, um, who plays a cop who wants so badly to be 
the Callahan of the top. But but it's like he's stuck in this like you're always saying I'm filling out paperwork and doing and his boss, the the department, you know, the commissioner, what whatever the title is, is played by Alan Alda. No, not Alan Alda, um Alan Arkin. Oh my god, I love Alan Arkin. I unrelated, but I just watched that movie going in style be mainly because okay. he was in it. And he is so nice and gentle and he, and Anthony's character has a problem with that because he wants to be hauled into the office to be chewed out for his screwball antics. And he's like, whoa, I, I understand your feelings and I want you to be happy, but you have to understand paperwork is a very important part of our job. <laughs> and then like they, they come to this agreement that you never see play out on camera where he starts to pretend that, like, he's like, get in here! I I can't believe you're doing this! And then, like, after that session when they argue, it's like, how was that? Was that good? Did I go too far with that? No? Okay, it was good. We'll work on it. (laughs) In my head, I picture, like, Alan Arkin playing, like, the coach from Buffy the Vampire Slayer where he's like, get in here! And he's, like, folding the guy's jacket while he's, like, yelling at them. Like, he can't shed his good guy... (laughs) Oh, that sounds fantastic. I've never seen that it's, movie. Uh, I don't know. It's really funny. Um, Isn't Mike Myers yeah, in Yeah, it's... I, I don't know why, because normally I'm a Mike, I am I like a lot of Mike Myers' early stuff. But for some reason, I always saw him on the cover, and I was like, I don't know if I want to see this movie. But I feel... I it's think his it's haircut. poster. It's his haircut, I think. Yes. That was his, uh, his, so his, early, um, or mid-90s, that haircut. Yeah, what is that? The Eric from Boy yeah, Meets World haircut? Yeah, the butt cut. <laughs> yep. Um, no, I definitely have to see that now because I, I will watch Alan Arkin in anything because he's it's fantastic. That, it's very quotable. Extremely quotable. And that's what we're about yeah. here on the Shameless Picture Show. All right, well, Close. we'll have to put So I Married an Ass Murderer on your shame list as well. Let me add both of those or I will forget. <laughs> I'm not going to add them to um, Letterboxd yet because that's a lot more work. But <laughs> I got to log in those. and click a link. Yep. <laughs> So I married an axe murderer. No, dear. That'd be a, that'd be a good double feature of serial. Murder. Yeah, yeah. Which I just got to show Amanda earlier this year because I love that movie. Uh, so one thing I was looking at, uh, I you know as I do, I try to write notes. Um, and one thing I thought was interesting because this is the, one of the first roles that Eastwood had. Not not the first, but one of his first big roles where he didn't was not playing a cowboy. <laughs> Because um, he had an interesting trajectory. He was on, like, a TV show called Rawhide or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I, I might be getting the name of the yeah. show wrong. But he played a cowboy, a good guy cowboy on some TV show. Um, and he was getting no traction. He was under contract for some studio. Um, and then he went off to do a bunch, uh, a bunch of ske- spaghetti what sketty, <laughs> bunch of sketty westerns, <laughs> a bunch of spaghetti westerns with Sergio Leone. And he became a huge fucking star. So this was one of the first times since then he has not played a cowboy. Well, what I find really interesting, because I don't want to say the p- politics in this film were not intentional, because they yeah. definitely were. Um, but what I thought was interesting was, you know, Clint Eastwood usually played a cowboy with no rules, who could go by vigilante justice. You wronged me. I'm going to fucking right. shoot you. And he's still kind of playing that character, but now he's playing it in a world where he has to follow the rules. And it's really, it's, I don't know, I find it really interesting. You know, like, yeah, he is the rules. 
Uh, uh, yes, he was on Rawhide. All right, I was right. Um, and what I find also interesting about them is, he, so he's he's a, for lack of a better term, let's call him what's called Carrie Callahan a cowboy. He's a cowboy who's not really allowed to be a cowboy totally. anymore. But he's all about the life of the hunt. He doesn't go home much. He eats hot dogs for every <laughs> meal. He doesn't seem like he changes much. He has and the, the one pair of pants. Mag- yeah, the forty-four Magnum was actually a gun for hunting. Yeah. Okay. So he's always hunting. Like I don't know. I just feel like there's some interesting oh, no, elements absolutely. working there. And um, I think the, the framing it as a cowboy movie set in uh, L.A. Police Department is apt. You know. Um. Sorry, brain fart. Yeah. What? What'd you brain say? Brain fart. <laughs> it's all right. Like I, said, I didn't really know where I was going yeah. with that. I just I noticed those connections. And I, I, I yeah no it, it's I don't think I have much to add to it because it was such a solid and complete thought. <laughs> yeah, I like that. The one thing I thought was interesting because even like I said the film gets a lot of flack for being right winged for its casual racism yeah. and um, gun love, <laughs> gun love and. Um, the film is, I don't know, it's, it's, quirk, it's, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. It's quirkle, it's quirkly? Quirkly. It's in a very quirky way homophobic because okay. they, they don't deny the, like when Clint Eastwood's walking through the park and he meets that gay man and like, instead of being like, he could have very easily, Harry, Harry Callahan could have very been easily, like, I don't agree with your ways sure. or something. Like, he he gave him shit, but he never, like, I don't know. Well, I can't and, really think of what I'm I trying think to say. And I think there is something to be said. I don't, I, I don't think it's entirely redeeming, but there is something to be said for the fact that the, the killer is racist and homophobic. Um, it, it does from, from the writing and, and movie creation standpoint, it does in some way put a value judgment on, you know, if the killer thinks those things are good, then we, the filmmakers think it's bad. You know, I, no, there's it's, something it's interesting to too be, It's interesting too, because like. Well, I can definitely see the comments that the film is is right wing. It also seems like it's taking thoughts from both sides because, um, you know, while the killer is racist and homophobic, um, when he gets out of jail, you know, he's wearing his peace belt buckle and he's got the and you know this is this is San Francisco in the late '60s, so it's very free loving liberal yeah. time. And here he is with his long hair, with the, the which is kind of the badge of honor for that. Yeah. hippie lifestyle along with the belt buckle and everything and, and he, um it's 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 interesting for that reason and um the whole idea of you know you should care more about the rights of the victim over the rights of the accused is i think of some is something that both sides can agree on so it's it's interesting because while it does have its politics it's not like to me it's a little more grayed out about necessarily which side it leans more heavily on yeah and quite frankly i think uh most of my issues with it are less that there was ill intent or something was poorly done and more of just it is flat out a victim of its time you could make the same film today 
with the tact and sensitivity of our modern issues and make a very compelling thought piece out of it. Well, it's funny. The time movie at the time, even though it was a product of its time, was still pissing people off. They were because I think the film was nominated for for some Academy Awards. Oh, okay. Uh, give me one second. Let me confirm this. Um, dead air. <laughs> All right. Um, it. I can't find like a list of its awards, but it definitely was nominated at the 44th Academy Awards. But even then, the film was pissing people off. Uh, it sparked debate over issues ranging from police brutality to victims' rights and the nature of law enforcement. Feminists in particular were outraged by the film, and at the 44th Academy Awards, protested outside the theater, holding up banners which read messages such as, Dirty Harry is a rotten okay. pig. So even at the time, it was pissing people off. Yeah. Oh, and like Tate, Tate, we we mentioned the like the peeping tom sequences. Mm-hmm. I I think there is some meat to these social issues in the film, but those peeping tom sequences are just, they don't really add much to the story, and and no, they're not at all. They're extremely tactless. Had had that been contributing to something had that been saying something socially one way or another you know even if it's not something that i agree with if it was trying to say something that's one thing but because it was just this like casual hey let's throw boobs into the movie like that's one example of how like where i think the film failed by today's standards no completely agree um yeah I'm trying to go. I'm going through my notes. Is there anything else you want to bring up, Nick? While I'm going um, through my notes. I. Oh yes. Um. We we were talking nope. about uh, the killer a bit and. Um, uh yeah, uh, Andy Robinson. Uh, one thing that I appreciated about the portrayal um, was when he was setting up for. I think it was the first, uh, uh, the attempted attack in the park when he was up on the rooftop and the helicopter was coming in. Mm-hmm. I liked that he looked genuinely freaked out and afraid. A lot of no, I did too. A lot too. of times you see that killer role, especially the crazy ones, and they just don't care. They're in their own world, yeah. and like they're so they either think they're so smart that they know they're gonna get away. Or they're so crazy that they're not worried about it. And it really made the character <coughs> compelling to me when he was like, yes, I'm going to do this and I'm crazy, but oh, oh God, I could, uh, let's get, uh, let's get out of here. Yeah. It never felt like he 100% had a plan. Like it felt like he was always kind of making it up as yeah. he went along. Um, and one thing I loved about his performance was Andy Robinson was also a pacifist. Oh, really? Like in real nice. life. And he was afraid of guns. <laughs> So uh, every time he'd shoot a gun or have to do something, like, uh, they said he looked just, like, freaked yeah, out. which it, uh, it shows. They had, to, they, had to ca- they had to cancel shooting for a week for him so he can go do gun training just so he could look less freaked out. And I feel like him playing such an opposite character and the fact that he – because, like, they said in the script, like, the character's written as what you'd expect, like, you know, big, beefy man with little hair and, you know, the typical yeah. creepy schizoid. 
and here this guy is. It looks like he, you know, he's young and pretty normal looking. It, all things it, if he was just walking down the street, you'd never go, "Boy, that dude was kind of creepy." Yeah, and like and like little things. It's like um, I, I love like I don't love that he that he kidnapped the bus of children, but I like the way like where he was originally like, "Let's all sing some songs." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he started getting frustrated with them and yelling at them. Like, that's like he couldn't keep that going for very long. And like, his character is one of the things I really liked about the film. And it's um, one of the things that elevated it. Be, uh, not the only thing, but one of the things that elevated yeah. it above all of the films that came after. Clearly inspired by that film. A couple other things I think the film does very well is um, I think I love the way it's shot. Yeah. Uh, the cinematographer. What's, let me see if I can remember what his name is. Uh, Bruce Surtees. Uh, he was one of those those cinematographers who was kind of known as a master of darkness. Okay. Because, like, he... As you can see when you watch the film, there's a lot of yep. darkness to the film because that's what he he liked. That's what he was interested in, was not necessarily overlighting something. He wanted to seem realistic. And how many times, like, you could tell that the outside scenes, like, when they're... When he's running um, from phone booth to phone booth, and... It's being lit very naturally yeah. with what, with probably what available lights they have. And then the editing. Um, Don Siegel began as an editor. The director. Okay. And, like, hell, he, 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 he edited the montage sequence that began Casablanca. Oh, wow. So he began as an editor, and I feel like because of that, he's thinking like an editor when he's shooting. And Carl uh, Pingtor, Pingator, who actually edited the film, I feel because like while the later Dirty Harry films are obviously a lot more violent, this film felt more violent because of the way he cut the film. Okay. And I feel like the way it's shot and the editing and um, uh, um, I'm having a brain fart <laughs> for name, so I'm glad I have the uh, the page pulled up. <laughs> the um, uh, Lalo Schifrin's score, like that jazzy yeah. score, I think all just kind of help create a vibe that is unlike a lot of these other types of films. I loved how uh, in that um, bank robbery sequence with the, following the hot dog, yeah. like it felt like for for five minutes, like a scene from Shaft or something. It was had that great Damn like right. wonder 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 wonder. <laughs> yep, guitar wah pedal. Um, yep. Like I was waiting for the crash zooms in on the, the face across the street to see. Looks can, panicked. Can I say that there's not enough crash zooms in, in filmmaking anymore? I saw some the other day that like clearly stood out to me. It's like whoa. <laughs> like a lot of times they're used um, to pay tribute. Right. Like yeah. Even though th- this this man's name is now kind of on the 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 hot button list of people not to say it, Quentin Tarantino uses them a lot because he's paying tribute to the 70s but i've always liked crash zooms better uh than well it depends on the situation but i've always liked crash zooms but i don't feel like i see them a lot anymore like they're just like a really nice just snap zoom yeah you know where they were used really effectively and it if it was paying tribute it wasn't exclusively for tribute sake and and made it something good was um the space sequences in Firefly, the TV show. I have not seen that show, but Amanda keeps telling me she thinks I'd um, like it. Many times when they're out, most of it either takes place on a planet or in the ship, but they'll cut to the you know the emptiness of space to see a ship you know far off floating, and they'll do these kind of like you know crash zoom things 
with a camera that gives the space sequences a look that most space uh, films and shows don't have. It 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 took an unexpected camera technique and put it into an environment that you've seen 500 times before and really made it feel fresh. Okay, I'm cool with that. Speaking of uh, space stuff, it has nothing to do with Harry, uh, Dirty Harry, but because of our Star Trek episode, I've gone back and started watching the original series. Okay. So I thought you might yeah, appreciate what, that. And then, What's your what, take on the original series? I've only had two episodes okay. in, but I think it's got a lot of charm Yeah, that's a it. good word for it. Um, it's funny to me because like, while the storylines are, are fine, I like the storylines quite a bit, and... Um, I think the characters are, 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 are a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I, uh, it's amusing to me, like how nothing really feels like a spaceship and it doesn't feel super like sci-fi like, no. cause it just feels like someone's bachelor pack. Cause it's all like crazy lighting and everything. Whereas like next generation is so cold yeah. and sterile on the ship. I really appreciated what, um, uh, the series enterprise which was the Scott Bakula-led mm-hmm. uh, crew. Yeah. That one takes place between, like, our present, like, NASA program and uh, the original series. So it's somewhere in yeah, the didn't middle they, there. Like, they didn't even have, um, uh, what is it, uh, transportation or uh, teleportation? Tele- yeah, uh, I think, if I remember correctly, it's introduced in, like, the third season. Like, oh, we're starting to play around with this new tech. Um but they they did a very good job, in my opinion, of bridging, getting us from what we know as space exploration and getting us to um, that weird '70s vibe. The last thing I'll mention before we go back to, and wrap up Dirty Harry about like Star Trekky stuff. I think I mentioned it to you, and you have Hulu. So I'm very surprised, impressed by uh, Seth MacFarlane's show, The Orville. It looked really interesting. Um, well, because. Uh, Originally, when I heard about it, I thought, oh, it's going to be Family Guy in space, <laughs> and it's going to be uh, more uh, yucking it up than anything else. And while there is some of that, totally, because it's Seth MacFarlane, he's, he's got communist blood, it's a very loving tribute to Next Generation. Oh, okay. Where, like, yeah, there are jokes and, and everything, and the characters, and it, it's the character, it's just, it feels like it's their jokes naturally coming from the characters and less, like, making fun of the situations. Because mo- all the situations they treat very seriously. And I think it finds a nice balance of having the type of plot lines and serious structure of, of the next generation. But those moments when you're watching Next Generation and you, like, you're, jo- you're joking around, like, about the way a alien's weird name or the way someone looks instead of us saying it nice. they do. <laughs> awesome and uh it finds a nice balance and i think you'd really appreciate cool. it because like i said it's a very loving tribute to star Trek. awesome and it's not like over the top crazy comedy like i was expecting yeah. it to be added to my shame list <laughs> all right first season's all up on hulu you can watch it whenever Excellent. uh i'm going through my notes right now for dirty harry a um, couple little things that I like that we don't necessarily need to talk too deeply into, but like, I liked at the end of the film after he killed Scorpio, he you know effectively threw his badge, which is now useless because he's you know, um, into the water. And I feel like if if they wouldn't have made sequels, it would have been a little more empowering of an image. Yeah. Uh, because it kind of gave me the idea of um, like 
a cowboy who once the bad guy is dead the hero must hang up his right. spurs type yeah. of thing like now what is he gonna go do he's gonna go sit in his probably one room apartment eat hot dogs by himself like because without the hunt he's got nothing um i was reminded of um more so uh when the way that you framed it um uh some of the stuff in a farewell to arms um the okay. the rebirth never read imagery it. So, by by being thrown into the river, it acts as like a, a hypothetical baptism. Yeah, a cleansing. Um, that's not to say that that's what they intended, but it just it would be an interesting lens to look at that at again, especially considering that there are sequels. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I also thought was really interesting, and it's a it's a subtle, it's an interesting tactic from the filmmakers to m- get us on Harry's side, is because unlike a mystery, where we don't know who the killer is and everything, and we don't know what's happening, we see everything Scorpio's doing, so it frustrates us more when justice isn't happening because yeah. we know he's guilty, we know what he's done. And we are, and it's it's an interesting way for us to side with Harry throughout the entire situation, like you know, the guy fucking did it. We saw it, like you know, right. it, it enrages the audience and it like forces you to even if you don't necessarily like Harry as a character to be on his side because you want to see justice yep. done. Um, a little bummed out that there wasn't a um a um any sort of conclusion or anything with um uh Harry's partner Chico. Oh sure. Like, we, we saw that he wanted to potentially quit the police force, but then, like, it never really went back to him, and I felt like there wasn't any closure with well, Chico. Well, even his introduction and and inclusion in the earlier part of the film, it always felt a little off. Like, they they didn't tell his story properly, but they also did, weren't just using him as, like, the prop to accomplish something else in the film. It seemed clunky. There was stuff yeah. with his character that didn't have a place. There was stuff in there that that character needed to do for the character's sake that didn't. It yeah, that there were several problems with that. I feel like it, it was it was either once a longer movie or something. I just feel like there's something off about that yeah. character, and I never really got to know him enough to, to decide whether or not I liked <laughs> him. I feel like I did, but I don't. Yeah, know. I did, but yeah, but I. I have well, that I liked same him because he didn't do he didn't do anything wrong to make me dislike him. But like <laughs> I liked him only because he didn't actively <laughs> piss me off. Yeah, he Love didn't it. actively piss me off. And you know, Chico seems like he was a good dude. He uh he cared about his job, he wanted to know why he was called Dirty Harry. You know, like I I, I, I get that. But you you ready for something that uh is really amusing? This movie was written uh long before Clint Eastwood was involved with it, and it was written as a vehicle for Wait for it. Frank Sinatra. That's who they wanted to play Dirty Harry. Really? Yes. Huh. But old Blue Eyes uh, turned it down because he didn't like the um, the politics in it, and he thought it was too violent. Okay. Wow. Um, there's also there's a there's a list of other people that it was it was written for that they wanted to have play it. Uh, but none of them are surprising as Frank yeah. Sinatra. Like John Wayne was offered the role, and 
You know, Robert Mitchum, which could have been really interesting. Sure. Uh, Steve McQueen, which he'd later go on to make his own version called yep. Bullet, which I think... He just had a car is, instead of a Magnum. <laughs> yeah, which I think is probably a better movie. Uh, I, I um, don't disagree, but I'd have to watch them side by side to really weigh in. Uh, Burt Lancaster's, uh, Paul Newman. Right. So, like, Marlon Brando at one point, like, that would have been interesting. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, like, uh, to me, like, Frank Sinatra sticks out. I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> I can't. Well, I, and I wonder how, was it, It did the movie, was it intended to have a different tone then? Or, that or I don't were know. they I just casting know that it was with the thought of it being, like, not the traditional choice? And we'll see how, like, parts of it I get. And parts of it, I'd be like, oh, I can't really quite place that in my brain. Well, that's kind of what I'm thinking, because originally it was called, the movie's called Dead Right, and it was supposed to be about a hard-edged New York cop. Okay. And, uh, you know, who's trying to get rid of, who's trying to catch a a, um, a sniper. Okay. Uh, and originally it was going to be, uh, oh, they also offered it to George C. Scott, and he flat out told him no. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, at one point, Sidney Pollack and Irvin Kirshner were were set to direct and that would have changed the yeah. tone a lot too but like i don't know I, that's the only thing i could think of is if they tra- they thought let's let's cast someone no one would expect and fucking see how it happens but like i just can't picture <laughs> frank sinatra being a badass yeah. like i'm pulling up frank sinatra's filmography right now i want to see it I, I feel like i've only ever seen him do like comedy well or like easygoing characters yeah. Though you never know when a shift like that is gonna result in something incredible, like what what popped into my head just now, and it's probably because I mentioned it in the last episode. Um, Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's a fair like, point too. Before you saw that movie, if you're like, yeah, they were considering Jim like <laughs> for this role, like you're like that would have been a very different movie, but or like. Um... No, no, exactly. I'm trying to think of another weird example like that. Or, like, uh, once again, Quentin Tarantino wanted to cast uh, Adam Sandler as the Jew Bear in Inglorious Bastards. I'm like, that would have been weird. But, like, did he see something we didn't? Right. Uh, So I have... um, But Adam Sandler went on to do, like, Spanglish and some other, like, very dramatic roles. Punch Drunk Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love. I'm pulling up um, uh, Frank Sinatra's filmography at the time, and I'm looking to see what he was doing in 1971, which is funny because he had a big gap from 70 to 1977, so apparently he wasn't doing anything. Uh, He did a – in 1970, he did a Western called – are you ready for it? It's a comedy Western called Dirty Dingus McGee. Well, somebody just got a new screen name. Dirty Dingus McGee. Uh, so they wanted they wanted Dirty Dingus to play uh, Harry. Harry Callahan. Well, they figure he was already dirty. Yeah, like it's illogical. Uh, and then he was all he played himself in Cannibal Run too. Okay, <laughs> I haven't seen but, it. Uh, yeah, seems like a weird choice to me. But um, anything else you got to add to uh, my last note? And it's small, um, but God, I love the film stock from this era. 
Oh my god, me too. Like, there's just a texture oh, to it. Oh, the color and the texture, it's so... It is so late 60s, early 70s. <laughs> like, I, I love the look of the of these, of these older films, and, like, if I could ever shoot on film i'd want to find out i'd want to try to recreate the film stock look because like that's the thing like when i watched a lot of these old movies like even when i was shooting shorts and i would show my cinematographer older movies and be like this is how i want to look and i know what you can't recreate film stock but like when i'd say the the look and the vibe of this film they'd focus on the wrong thing and the lighting was always really strange because like they weren't focusing on what i was focusing i feel like the way that these film stocks captured light is a big thing sure to, is, is a hard thing to recreate yeah. and uh yeah like or like even like the warriors the way that film looked because of the film stock they shot on it's and that's one thing i miss about when people would shoot on film was different film stocks would give you different yeah. look nowadays like, everyone's shooting on reds and uh you know phantom black magics and whatnot and like all the f- films kind of look the same, they, even if they're colored and lit differently. A lot of them. Look the look is being the created same. in post often, that mm-hmm. with color grading. And, like, and... and there are some cinematographers and directors who know how really know how to work with digital cinematography and make a look of their yeah. own. I looked at the the new Star Trek movies, the J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. ones, that have a very you know you you can dislike the look. That's valid. It's controversial but it doesn't look like other films yeah yeah no completely and um no i i'm I'm a sucker for old film stocks (laughs) and part of me wishes like i i could get better at learning what like what each one is and kind of like because I'm such a nerd, like I, I when I watch something, I want to know, like, oh, they shot this on Tri-X, right. uh, such and such, and oh, this is a Panavision lens. Like I, like I'm such a nerd that I wish I could tell that type of shit, and like that's why I usually watch to the end of the credits so I can get some idea of like, oh, they use Panaflex. Right. Like, like uh, now I don't do as much for newer movies because it's not. They shot it on a red. Oh, they, they shot it on a black magic. Yeah. They shot yeah. Yeah, like, oh, shit, this film was shot on Super 16? That's cool. I I really liked your, I I hadn't heard it, your anecdote when we were discussing Texas Chainsaw Massacre of them dragging the the film through the dirt just to beat up the the film. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Well... I can't think of anything else I gotta talk about for me. Yeah, I think, um, you know, this... Anything Clint Eastwood, I think, is a bit of a of a love letter to my dad and the kind of movies that he would watch when I was a kid. Um, a Me lot too. of the westerns, but then every once in a while you'd break out into some of my dad's a big Clint Eastwood fan. And so um, I hadn't seen it recently, and it was nice to watch again. Um, but it, it I feel like gave I, me the warm fuzzies. I feel like both- I think both of our dads kind of viewed themselves as a Clint Eastwood <laughs> character, even if they weren't. They they honestly weren't, but they. I feel like there was something they could relate yeah, to. Yeah. But um. What well, next episode, Nick? Uh, I forgot. Are we doing? Are we doing um. Um. I, your next? Or are we doing the Godfather? Next? I don't remember which one we're I doing next. I believe we're doing your next. If I don't have my list in front of me, but I believe your. Okay, I don't remember if it was. I, I got the. I know we want to do the Godfather at some point. We want yeah. to do your. We want to do our double feature yep. of Super Mario Brothers and 
uh, Masters of the Universe, which I'm so excited <laughs> for. So, yeah, we got the next three planned out. I already watched The Godfather. I'm probably going to have to rewatch it. <laughs> totally. Well, you know, we were pushed back um, because yeah. of the solo episode, so we could do Godfather next and push your off. Well, either way, both films are films I haven't seen, so we seem to be checking a lot of stuff yeah. off my shame list. <laughs> That's all right. We'll do a couple off yours yeah, next. Yeah, there then. you go. Uh, either way works for me. I'm probably still going to have to rewatch Godfather because... Or do some research on it because, like, I watched it when I had friends over, and it's. I wouldn't say I forgot it, it, but. You can't pay quite as close. You can't watch it with the same intention. Yeah. yeah. So, if anything, I might have to go back and just watch key scenes and scrub through it on Netflix. All right. Well, uh, it, coming up next, either your or The Godfather, both films, I think, equal in the pantheon of film history. Yeah. <laughs> just as important see if I can... to our culture. If I can grab myself a copy of your this week, it'll be your. <laughs> if not, Godfather. Your, your will be terrific. Yep. All right, Nick. Well, as always. You have a good one, man. This is a real joy, and we will see you in two weeks. Take it easy, everybody. Bye-bye.